How y'all doing? How y'all doing? This is Alvin with Trying Success on the Old Fashioned Health Network. Good health inside and out. We have Mr. Jason Swanson on the show today, but thank you for the time. Go ahead, man. Introduce yourself oh, so people know who you are. Oh, man, brother, it's appreciated. Thank you. I'm honored to be on your platform, brother Alvin. Um, yeah, uh, I'm Jason A. Swanston. I'm a serial entrepreneur in the tech space. I've been in the uh, tech space since 1991 when I got my first internship as a as a graphic designer at a company called Technovations in Manhattan. And then I, I uh, prior to that, I, I entered college at 13, uh, the first STEM program and um, at NYU. And then then two years later, I got an internship doing graphic designing and uh, learning uh, 3D animation, um, working on different platforms and then. Uh, two years after that, um, uh, well, not two years after that, during that time, I entered uh, Ivy League School called University at 15. Uh, I just basically was jumping all around uh, because my family was was heavily inundated with, uh, with software engineer, the ideals of Marcus Garvey, and basically uh, wanting me to be a Supreme Court judge for, for my, the black community to help we fight injustices. And I just said, you know what? I love technology because my mom was a software engineer. My father uh, was and still is an entrepreneur. And it was instilled in me to always exceed uh, more than, you know, the average. Uh, don't let, you know, the, the community, because I'm from Harlem, uh, just define you. You know, uh, you define yourself. So that was instilled in me. And I, uh, I, I turned 17. I got an internship at a multimedia studio that was manufacturing the uh, the computers that basically created these various different uh, animations like, you know, you find in Marvel movies. Uh, it was called it, it was called Advanced Multimedia Systems. And there that's where I learned uh, how to build virtual worlds, which are now called metaverses. This is 1993. So give you context. You know, I was drinking Coca-Cola, eating Cheez-Its and listening to Dr. Dre's The Chronic that first came out. And I was learning how to create virtual uh, or avatars and 3D models of, you know, Statue of Liberty, Pyramid of Giza. And it just influenced me to basically get into the whole mode of, of game development. And that's why I got my bones learning software, C Sharp, C++, Unix systems, got a, oh, and, um, and uh, but the problem was, was that there was no, <laughs> there was, uh, you know, there was no olive branches being given out in, uh, in Hollywood for African-American kids like myself, who was 17, to go into the multimedia space and get paid $2,500 a minute because that's how much they were paying people back then is $2,500 a minute to do an animation, uh, to do a 3D model of something animated, you know, for 60 seconds. Uh, but and so if you, you had to have like a uh, college degree and I didn't. So uh, my best bet was to was to jump into the entertainment industry. So I had a graphic designing background. I said, let me get into the entertainment industry. And that's when I started doing graphic designing for a uh, couple of uh, uh, RB managers, Charles Huggins, who was a uh, mobile Moore's man, um, husband at the time and uh, working and doing stuff for, um, for bad boy. And uh, I learned marketing and I, I said, you know what? I can make more money doing marketing by watching Puff and what he was doing with all the artists at bad boy from Craig Mack and Biggie in total. And um, because I had a tech background, I said, you know what? This would be awesome uh, to start to, you know, uh, you know, market online, but nobody really was really hearing me, <laughs> you know, uh, we're talking about 1997. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by 98, uh, grassroots marketing was really big because hip hop was the golden era of hip hop. Right. 
And uh, everybody and their grandmother said, you know what, we need a, we need a grassroots marketing team because we need to keep the buzz going with all these artists. And I started a marketing firm on Wall Street called Wall Street Marketing Promotions. And I was able to employ 1,200 inner city youth in 32 cities uh, as marketers. And uh, because the Napster debacle started to really penetrate the music industry, I basically became a rock, rock star in a nutshell, whereby I was able to uh, convince certain people in the record labels, hey, listen, you need to start marketing, you know, your records, uh, the coming of the records, the dropping of the records and record stores on these various different uh, chat rooms. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was that was the beginning of what was called digital strategy, which is now called social media. So I was one of the first movers to do social media uh, for the record labels uh, by way of having young high school and college students, as well as kids that were coming home out of jail, at risk youth. Uh, marketing, uh, Biggie's album, <laughs> uh, Foxy Brown, any any artist that I had a that I had a contract with because I had contracts with fifteen record labels. Uh, we were talking about the coming of their albums on AOL chat rooms, basically talking to uh, thousands of, of music consumers and and kids, specifically white kids in in su- the suburbs of America because they were the ones that really were buying hip hop in the droves to get them to go and run out to the record stores. And a couple of, of you know, uh, black consumers that would go to the mom and pop, sh- mom and pop stores right. and um, in the inner cities like in Atlanta. So uh, so that became a thing. And then, of course, you know, Napster, Napster hit hard and we became my company became basically a rock star because we were able, we had the bodies to talk about, you know, the, you know, an album or an artist IP or his ancillary products like his clothing line or, you know, or his investment. Uh, on Wall Street. So, um, yeah, for the next 20 years, I, I would basically be uh, promoting 80 platinum artists and uh, and uh, learning and, and loving, you know, the fact that that, you know, this particular space, uh, I, I was part of it, you know, in terms of pioneering, you know, what is now called social media. And now that we have, you know, we're into the Web 3.0 space where, you know, everything is moving from dot com now to having a meta address or being a avatar or a meta human in a virtual environment. I think that um, it's awesome because I'm really excited that uh, I was able to see the maturation of people's mindsets and accepting uh, various different uh, transitions of the World Wide Web. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited uh, to just uh, be on this platform and, and let everybody know, hey, listen, you know, you can do it, you know, just follow your heart. But more importantly, if you love what you do, study everything about it, especially because you have this, this device in the palm of your hand called a mobile device. Mm-hmm. And you have a search engine called Google Chrome or Safari, you know, where you can actually search the information. And if you don't know how to search, just literally write the question, you know, how do I write software? How do I make a video game? How do I build a metaverse? And literally those, the, the, those articles will start to appear in your mobile device. We live in a world, when I grew up, I, I had to go to Barnes and Nobles to study. We didn't have social media. We didn't have, you know, um, we just didn't have, you know, search engines like what we do now. Right. But I had to go to Barnes and Nobles and physically look through books on coding and do trial and error with my computers. So now, we, you, you know, the generations now, nowadays, they have access to information. So my, my whole my whole, uh, you know, objective at this particular point is to promote studying. You have to study your craft. 
You have to be the best at it, you know, and always compete with yourself. Don't compete with someone else. Don't swipe up and down on TikTok, left and right. You know what I mean? And worry about what someone else is doing. If you have a passion for something, you know, because those are distractions you need to study. And I think that that then, you know, you'll be fine. And that's why we we at my companies, my startup tech companies, Avnio, NFT Fans Agency and my Metaverse Earthia, we're so successful because all of my staff and my partners, we study everything about everything when it comes to that particular space. And that's who Jason A. Swanson is, just a serial entrepreneur who loves his race and loves the human race and wants to um, wants to make impact before I leave Earth. So so you are a an example of being able to be as successful as you are and still reach back and love your race and do what you can for them. Of course. Yes. Um, that's one of the main, main reasons why, you know, I started the black investor stock group on uh, Facebook because I wanted to not necessarily cliche give back. I just wanted to basically be a staple on planet earth where, you know, other ethnic groups looked at me as an example of what we are in our, in our community and in the black race, whereby I'm giving information for free. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, chastise anyone who's charging you know, uh, black people for financial information. That's just not my modus operandi. I don't believe in that because I've watched other ethnic groups and they give out information freely to, to each other because they believe in, in group economics. I believe in black group economics. And the only reason why, the only, only way we can really um, ascertain uh, the proper ways of, of developing black group economics within our race, not our community, but our entire race here on planet America is if we literally, um, if we share information, you know, selflessly, mm -hmm. you know, um, I ask people every day, especially people within my, my communities, uh, how, what have you done for someone within your community? What have you done for your race? Uh, have you posted something that can change someone else's life within right. your race? Right. You know, because me living in Asia, the Asian uh, demographic, they do everything for their race and they, they make no qualms about it. And so my thing was, I took a page out of their book because we are all programmed to think a specific way. We're indoctrinated to basically be separatists. And I said, you know what, if the Asians are thinking 20 years from now, because I'm over there in Asia, I'm in India, you know, I'm in um, these Asian areas, then we should do the same thing. Right. So I started the Black Investor Stock Group where I said, you know what, I'm going to give out as much information as possible. And I'm going to be as, def as defiant and as aggressive as possible, whereby I'm telling my black community, my communities around around the country that come into my group and say, listen, if you don't do this, then you're part of the problem. You cannot co you cannot complain, complain about what another ethnic group has done to our people if you're not helping especially if you know the information, if you're a certified public accountant, if you're an attorney, if you're a financial advisor, a certified financial advisor, or if you just have good old black advice because you went through something and you're not giving that to somebody that can help, uh, that, that needs to help, excuse me, then you're part of the problem. You're no different from a KKK member. You're no different from a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. The only difference is, is that you're doing it from, you're doing it by withholding the information. And that is the worst thing that, that black men and women can do to our race than a white supremacist can. And that's the point of share information. And that's right. And that's to suppress and not share the information aggressively mm -hmm. with a laser focus to be determined on us coming together as one. So what, 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 what did this um, burning desire to really want to be 
Uh, where, did, where did you first? Where did you get this from to really want to to go back to help the community? Have, have you were you taught this or were you yes. raised in a household to to be like that? Yes. Well, we're Garveyites, so we was raised. Uh, if you if you know, if you know the teachings of Marcus Garvey, it's all about black nationalism, mm-hmm. you know, um, and to be proud of who you are. Um, to understand that we are one race. It's not just, oh, he's Jamaican and she's African and he's black American. We're one because we're, when we're all in one car or one van or one bus mm-hmm. and we get stopped by a state trooper that's not from our community, mm-hmm. we're all one race. <laughs> so so there you go. They don't care if, if, if one has a Jamaican dialect and one speaks Patois and the other one speaks, you know, you know, uh, uh, twa, you know, from, from one of the Ibu, Ibu tribes. But the point is this, at the end of the day, I was taught that we must help each other. When I stepped into that STEM program at NYU at 13, you know, I, 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 I it was, it was basically instilled in me that I have 30 plus black Americans on my shoulder. So I must represent us. I must know everything that the white kids and the Asian kids know. I must know every answer. So when I came back home, okay, after class, I would have to study ahead of time. And so the burning desire came from the family infrastructure, my family infrastructure uh, that went through civil rights. My mom, you know, uh, being spat on, hawk spit on because, you know, she was black. You know, my grandmother integrating um integrating uh, Midwood High School, being hawk spit on. So all that information was instilled in me. And they said, hey, listen, you have to realize that if you, as you grow and as you gain the knowledge, you have to turn around and make sure that pull two, 10, 30, 50 of us along the way, because that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where the Bernard Zai came from ever since I was an adolescent. We were, we were laughing before we got started with the show that Jason uh, I used to be, uh, used to work, um, when they had the bomb, the Wells Fargo, the Wells Fargo thing. I was like, man, you've been here as long as you've been here. You was here before. So how long, yes, how long were you here before you moved to New York? Or do you go back? And- uh, move back. I moved back. To, I was only here for six months. Okay. Um, um, because I just couldn't, uh, I wanted to create a, vir- I wanted, I wanted to build a, uh, my, uh, virtual club called Virtuous Station. It was like a kind of, it was going to be like a VR club back in 96. Yep. Okay. Because I was building my own VR headset. I actually built a VR headset back in 96 with a couple of uh, friends of mine over in Japan. And I thought by going to Atlanta, which was at that time to me was the melting pot for black excellence, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, when I got to Atlanta, I realized that the brothers and sisters, they weren't tech savvy or they were just, they were, they were just not ready for, technology at that time and so at that time and this is the time where you know jay-z just came out with reasonable doubt and he had that hit with you know i like to give song references right yeah, no, and so too, yeah <laughs> yeah so i was like you know what i was like you know what? i gotta leave so i basically went back to new york and um i started a small record pool called swanee promotions where i started to uh, market you know uh, uh records to uh club djs mm-hmm. and um and yeah, it was, a you know, and, and that's literally how that happened. But, you know, uh, I liked Atlanta. It was, it was okay. You know, uh, it's just, it was one of those things where when the bombing happened, I was there. Um, it's just, it was, it was different. It was traumatic. I was, I was a security guard and, you know, I saw Muhammad Ali, you know, put the, put the fire, um, in the basin and I saw, you know, 4,000 women in, in leotards do the opening ceremonies and then the bomb blew up and it was just, it, it's just, it's like war, it's different. So, 
Um, but I was already equipped with that because coming from Harlem, I already I, I've seen, you know, death and destruction and drugs and violence and police brutality. So it, but to see it there, like in an environment where you're not you, your guard is down, even though you are a security guard, it was like right, it was right. different. Yeah. So I left. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just uh, start, you know, start the conversation, start the project. Don't let not starting be the reason you didn't succeed. Enter a space where you can dream free and start or continue your journey. Located in a building and street full of history, I challenge you. I challenge you to start. You see the vibes. No worries. With our space and your imagination, the possibilities are endless. Having a comfortable space for your podcast, film, or any other production is the first step to you starting. And always remember to dream, create, and then do it all over again. You've done yep. so much in the, the fact that you started school at 13, college? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And why you science and technology entry program. Yes, sir. So. How do you think... Um, as far as tech is concerned now, this whole thing with the metaverse and all that, how do you think that's going to impact African-American? <laughs> it's funny you say that because me and my, my friends um, and my partners, we're, we're putting together a, a Blacks in the Metaverse uh, educational conference mm-hmm. uh, soon. And um, I'll send you some information on that. We're going to do that in every state uh, throughout the next five years because to speak to your question, um, I think that the metaverse is going to affect us uh, a great, a great deal because from our entertainers to our influencers, uh, all the way to our Gen Z's and our millennials that just onboard or subscribe to these apps and now these metaverses. I think that if we don't take the forward posture of learning the various different uh, nuances and dynamics of the metaverse, number one, how, how, uh, how it's being cultivated by people that don't look like us, then we're going to get marginalized. Case in point, there's a metaverse called Upland. So I'm on Upland and, you know, it shows a map of, of cities, New York, Chicago, and you're able to buy parcels of land. Okay, great. But if you go to certain areas that I know and you know are heavily inundated with our, with our people, we can't buy that. Those parcels of land. But yet still, they, these particular metaverses will, will force, keyword force us, per their terms of use, to onboard and subscribe, or we call it onboarding in, in the metaverse, mm-hmm. uh, to, these, uh, to these apps and convert our cash to their crypto to help build their economy in order to buy parcels of land. And their virtual land, which is literally uh, a virtual replica of our cities, Harlem, Chicago, you know, uh, uh, five points in in, in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But they are marginalizing by way of siphoning off what they want to release. And if if an area is inundated with us or has a high crime rate because of, let's just say, because of, you know, us living there. Um, I'm not saying it's the reason why, but right. let's just say, you know, um, they uh, they release they release these parcels of land uh, at certain times or they just hold it. 
And I think that it's unfair. So getting to your question, you know, DC even using that as, as an example, that upland example, I think that we need to basically learn it. We need to um, study and we need to build our own metaverses um, where we can invite other ethnic groups to our world on, and how we interact with each other as well as how we interact with other, other individuals. Because if you're an African-American, an African or a Caribbean programmer, software developer, we code differently. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the software engineers who happen to be Caucasian, who happen to be Asian, okay, i.e. Indian, South Korean, Japanese, Chinese, <laughs> you know, Eastern European, i.e. Russian, Czechoslovakian, Romanian, and then white American, you put all those particular ethnic groups in one particular software clump, they code from a biased standpoint. Right. And it's not their fault. Right. It's just that they're not from our community, right. so they don't understand our blue. Mm -hmm. They don't understand our pink. They don't understand why would a Caribbean man wear a pink shirt That's right. with some green flip-flops. Right. So when you understand that, you can't complain if you onboard Meta, which is Facebook's metaverse, which is originally called Horizon. Mm -hmm. You can't complain when you onboard Decentraland or you can't complain when you onboard Sandbox and they don't have the features that allow us to create virtual worlds inside their ecosystem. Right. So it's going to affect us. It's going to affect us a great, a great deal if we don't start building our our own metaverses from our perspective so that other ethnic groups can understand how we live amongst each other and how we see the world. Okay, so now this is going to be interesting. So, so just a, okay. So let let me ask you a question like this, and and I'm doing this for the people that that still don't quite understand the metaverse, right? So I'm concerned about the singers, but we'll talk about the singers in the metaverse in a minute. Uh, but the way you just eloquently explained it now, perfect. But for those people that think it's just the you take off these glasses and you feel like okay, I'm back in Atlanta, I'm no longer in the metaverse. So they're thinking that it doesn't affect me anymore once I take off these VR, these virtual glasses, right? They thinking that, okay, I take my glasses off. I don't have to get in that world anymore and it's not going to impact me. Can you explain to people how just because you don't participate in the metaverse uh, often or maybe not hardly at all or don't have any significance in understanding how it still can impact you just because you're not a part of it? You understand what I'm saying? Like, sure. Think, well, I can just take these, these glasses off. I don't have to be a part of the metaverse. But for me, I'm thinking you may not feel like you have to be a part of it, but you kind of are part. It's going to impact you one way or the other because it'll it'll be so in order for you to complete an education, in order for you to do some of the things you want to do, they're going to attach it to a metaverse uh, um, ecosystem system. Exactly. So can you explain it to them, uh, explain it to the listeners that's listening that. Just because you don't put on the RV, is it RV glass? What, what do they call it? The, uh, uh, VR, VR, virtual reality, VR. Right? Yeah, just because you don't put the, put the VR glasses on, uh, sh uh, that it doesn't mean that it's not going to impact you. Can you explain to them? Yeah. Uh, kind of like Sure. Well, let, let's take it back a little bit. So, so when you're talking about the metaverse, metaverses don't necessarily need someone to enter it by way of having a VR headset on their head. You can go, you, there's, there's, uh, there's metaverses that have apps that technically allow you to download their metaverse for you to uh, peruse or browse through the metaverse as an avatar from your mobile device. So it's like a video game right. before you put this VR set on. So the misconception is 
with the metaverse is that you need a VR set and you don't because there are, there's Decentraland, there's Sandbox, there's Meta, and there's uh, Upland, and, and there's 90 plus other metaverses being built, including ours, mm-hmm. where where onboarders won't need to have a VR set to engage a metaverse. Okay. Um, and th- those 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 four I just mentioned are already out. You can download them. You can create your own avatar. There's another one called um, Second Life, which is really really uh, futuristic and 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 um, thought provoking. Uh, but those particular metaverses allow you to download the app, and you can uh, you can you can engage other avatars that are controlled by humans from your mobile device, your desktop, or your laptop, or your tablet. Period. The end. And if you want the VR set experience, then of course you would have to buy that particular VR set that's compatible or that has that metaverse house on that VR set, which is what a lot of people think because Facebook is so humongous in terms of their marketing. People think that, you know, the metaverse is all about me needing a VR set and that's not the case at all. Uh, so to get to your point and your question rather is how it will uh, it basically will uh, impact. It'll impact you a great deal because you have major corporations in every sector from food and beverage, which is McDonald's mm-hmm. to apparel, which is Nike, that are trademarking their names for the metaverse. You have major icons like Snoop Dogg, who's actually just sold his for his album that made 40 plus million dollars in five days as an NFT inside a particular metaverse called Sandbox, in which he owns his own mansion. Okay, it's virtual. And he has, and there's more people that are converting their cryptocurrency uh, into uh, that particular token to buy parcels of land to live next to Snoop Dogg or around Snoop Dogg's virtual community. So in terms of impact, you have a person like a Snoop Dogg who impacts not only my generation, our generation, but even the younger generation, Okay, whereby if he says come to my party or come to my virtual concert, we do. And then when we when we uh, offboard or we turn off our, our, you know, our mobile device. Okay, we might talk about it. We might talk about it to our friends. Hey, did you go to Snoop Dogg's concert in the metaverse? Oh, yeah, I did. Did you buy something? Actually, I did. Oh, how much did you pay? I paid one Ethereum. So just with that conversation alone, the metaverse is going to impact our daily life because people are going to start converting their cash into cryptocurrency to purchase digital assets so that now they have something to talk about. A, B, they have what is called social wealth, because you know what? I just got Snoop Dogg's album in my digital wallet that no one has. You can't get it on Spotify. You can't get it on SoundCloud, YouTube or Apple iTunes. You can only get it on or you can hear it rather in my virtual apartment in this metaverse. So that within itself is going to be, is going to be impactful. And then the educational piece, but every sector right now, as we speak, including the high net worth individuals that control certain environments are dumping millions of dollars into creating their own environments. Because you know what? We had web 2.0, which was you going to a website to pay a bill, right? Mm. To uh, onboard or to subscribe to uh, to a bank so you can open up a checking account. Well, Web 3.0 is the next level where you have a virtual environment now. And that's going to be impactful where people are now going to have to be forced to uh, not, uh, not only uh, engage other people as an avatar, but more importantly, they're going to have to convert their cash into crypto. Wow. 